Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Gator Sports Podcast is brought to you by ViStar Credit Union. We never forget it's your money. And by ABC Fine Wine and Spirits. Always be celebrating. Between no one. Welcoming Gator fans to the new Gator Sports Podcast with your host, Zach Abelverde and Graham Hall. Presented by the Gainesville Sun and Gatorsports.com. Welcome into another Gator Sports Podcast presented by the Gainesville Sun. I'm your host, Zach Abelverde, joined to my right by the Graham Hall as we discuss a loss in the swamp on senior night. Nobody saw coming, including yours truly. But uh, we're going to talk about it, recap the game. I know by, probably by this point you guys don't want to hear about it, but you've had a couple days to sleep on it. We'll dissect everything that went wrong for the Gators as we look ahead to the early signing period and the SEC championship game. We'll discuss both of those on today's episode. But Graham, we got to start with the debacle on Saturday night in the swamp. Yeah, absolute failure, Zach. None of us saw it coming, including our guest Jarrett last week. We we were pretty down on the Tigers in multiple aspects. I was talking at the end of the podcast that we could pile on in several ways about how the Tigers were failing coming into this game. Ed Orgeron, the battle between two freshman quarterbacks, one who would be making his first career start, and he ended up making that first career start. They were one player above the scholarship limit, They were missing Derek Stingley Jr., who many say is the best cornerback in the SEC. Absolute failure, Zach. Absolute failure. Yeah, and I guess, you know, there's a lot of ways that we can break down this game. And um, I don't want to spend the whole time harping on what went wrong. I guess we can mention some things that that did uh, happen positively for the Gators. Kadarius Toney had a career-high game, played the game of his life on senior night, and you feel bad for him to go out that way. Jacob Copeland had a career-high performance. Kyle Trask had a career-high performance. He didn't just have another 400-yard game, Graham. I mean, he tied his career-high for passing yards, 474 yards, but it didn't feel like it because of the three turnovers and the way the offense sputtered throughout the game in the red zone on third down. LSU won that key matchup. Um, So there were some positives on the offensive side there were some positives on the defensive side Ventrell Miller's performance some of the three and outs that they had but obviously more negative than positive what other than the shoe incident which we will get into what's your one just general takeaway if you had to put your finger on one thing from this game that really is is I think highlighted the most for you what would it be Graham I would say the lack of preparation throughout the week maybe arrogance is also the term you could use But you had Dan Mullen on Thursday coming out and saying that a two-loss SEC champion deserved to possibly be in the college football playoff. That is the ultimate sign that you're looking ahead past that game. And let me remind people, this is the guy who many Florida fans have already chastised for failing to hype up Kyle Trask's Heisman odds. And then you're going to come out there and prop your team up there as if they've already kind of lost this game in a sense that they should still go to the college football playoff. Then you sit out Kyle Pitts, which... 
you can believe whether or not that he actually was injured, didn't practice throughout the week, but it didn't make much sense to me. And you still had people speculating at halftime whether he would run out of the tunnel there in the third quarter to help the Gators. That was a performance that just signified to me that Florida was looking past this game, Zach. Yeah, man. I think for me, Graham, as much as I can complain like everybody else about the defensive lapses and what they did on that side of the ball or more importantly what they allowed LSU to do with a true freshman quarterback and basically just carve up their defense with some of the plays that he was able to make. Uh, I take issue like with Dan Mullen more so with the offensive performance and just the fact that they once again got away from the run unlike other games, they were actually productive, though. So they could have maybe leaned on that a little bit more. It probably would have helped them, especially in the fourth quarter when they had all those three and outs. But one thing that I took away, and I know a lot of others did as well, was the lineup changes that they made along the offensive line. And it was something that everybody had been waiting to see, had been calling for. But at the end of the day, it took them being down at home on senior night against a losing team to finally shake things up when maybe it should have happened in weeks prior. And what we saw, I think, from some of those uh, changes were some things that were positive, but also uh, I think if they would have done that weeks earlier, maybe that group that they put out there could have come along a little bit further than where they're at now. And now they go into this SEC championship game with this dilemma of the changes that they made and now trying to uh, bring that along in time enough to get prepared for the Crimson Tide. Yeah, people were calling for Florida to make changes on the offensive line really since the first week of the season and saying there has to be some better option here, especially at right tackle. I think you pretty much saw on Saturday that when you take Jean DeLance out of that lineup, it moves everyone else around. You had to move Stone Forsyth to right tackle, and he's not as good there as he is at left tackle. That's just not his best position. It really changes what you have to do. So it really has to go by the phrase that John Hevesy has used pretty often throughout his tenure, not only here at Florida, but throughout his entire coaching career. What is the best five that you can put out there? And right now, it is what we have seen throughout this season. And yes, you see that that change late in this game maybe signifies a little bit of desperation in a sense to shake things up. And I understand that there has been pressure put on Dan Mullen and Todd Grantham throughout the season, but maybe this also signifies that Florida's offensive line is just not where it really needs to be. And and you can put some of that on John Hevesy, but the reality of the fact is this was a young offensive line last year and they had no development time in spring. So who really expects them to be miles better outside of really a few positions that you brought in from guys like Stuart Reese and Stone Forsyth. You got to credit his massive jump. And and one thing I want to expand on that as we talk about the changes that they made on the offensive line and the fact that they actually benched somebody. They do that on offense, Graham. If a guy makes a mistake really at any position, they'll bench him. We've seen it happen at the running back spot. We've seen it happen with wide receivers who drop passes. We've seen it happen when guys miss assignments. It, it really was the offensive line where it was kind of la- you know, lagging because we'll see them bench a running back wide receiver. I think now that we've seen it happen on the offensive line where fans are going to continue to pull their hair out and complain is that it's not happening consistently and as much on the defensive side of the ball. When you see guys make mistakes, when you see guys not playing well, when you see someone that just needs to be sat down for a series, it doesn't happen 
I think, as we all would like it to, and, and as we see it happen on the offensive side. And you could point to the play in the secondary from guys like Marco Wilson and Donovan Steiner. Um, they don't get sat down enough, and he definitely should have been sat after that mistake that he made with the shoe, yet he was still in the game. And those are the things that I think uh, boggle fans' minds as much as anything. If you're a Gator fan who believes saving money is better, join ViStar and save up to $5,000 in closing costs when you buy or refinance a home. The ViStar No Closing Costs Mortgage has a great rate, no hidden fees, and like the name says, no closing costs up to $5,000. At ViStar, we never forget that it's your money. Proud partner of the Florida Gators. Equal housing opportunity insured by NCUA. All loans subject to credit approval. Offer not available on VA and FHA mortgages. For more information, visit ViStarCU.org. Life today is kind of a lot. It forces us to always be on. But every now and then, it's important to just stop, crack open a mountain cold Coors Light, and chill. So when you choose to turn off, choose the one beer that's made to chill. Coors Light. Coors Light is brewed with a three-step cold process. Cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. The mountains on Coors Light's cold-activated bottles and cans turn blue when chilled to perfection. This weekend is a conference title games for just about every conference. Non-stop great college football all day and night. It's the perfect time to make sure your refrigerator is stocked with the mountain cold refreshment of Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. If life's pace is wearing you down, make sure you take a moment, pause, and refresh yourself with a cold Coors Light. You can even have Coors Light delivered straight to your door. Go to get.coorslight.com and find local delivery options. Coors Light, made to chill. Celebrate responsibly, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Bring game day tailgates home this season after a stop at ABC Fine Wine and Spirits. Stock up your huddle with beer, hard seltzers, your favorite wine, or something sparkling. ABC is Florida family-owned and has been getting Gator fans ready for kickoff since 1936. Head inside one of their 125 stores around the state or try their curbside service by ordering online at abcfws.com. ABC Access loyalty members can save $10 on wine, 10% on beer and hard seltzers, and earn points toward $5 coupons. ABC, always be celebrating. Yeah, absolutely, and I'm not saying that I'm an expert coach or anything, but you talk about this thing, the Gator Standard, accountability, you throw out these coaching cliches, throughout the offseason and, and often use them as recruiting tools. And that's something we're going to talk about here later as we get into early signing day. But you have to then own up to your own message when the time comes. And Florida has really not, I think, done that extremely well under Dan Mullen. There have been times, even under guys like Will Muschamp and Jim McElwain, viral clips still to this day where you can see them chewing out players for moments that hurt the team and were far less pivotal than what happened on Saturday, which not only was just a shoe throw, it was possibly throwing away Florida's chances at the college football playoffs. So for him to be out there on the very next play throughout the rest of the game, 
I, I don't understand that in my mind, and it's more of an indictment on the rest of the guys behind Marco Wilson. How can not any of those guys give Florida a better chance if they're going out there and not just committing boneless mindless penalties that are going to hurt the team's chances. There's one thing to just blow an assignment, you know, be confused out there in the secondary, make mistakes. That's forgivable in my mind, but doing something that could be classified as selfish, uh, that that's something that you would need to be sat down for and really think about what you're doing out there on the field. And, and it has to see now what, what happens as these guys try to rebound from this, right? what the week of practice is going to be like, how the leadership shows up in the locker room, how these guys pick themselves up after their college football playoff hopes are out the window, after they've basically been embarrassed at home on senior night by a rival. Um, This is really going to show what this team is made of, and we've already seen them once, Graham, respond from a loss. They did get the team outbreak that gave them even a longer time away to kind of collect themselves, but... uh, they're, they're really going to be faced with a tall task this week because they cannot dwell on what happened Saturday night. they got to get ready for the Crimson Tide, and, and maybe that is a, somewhat of a silver lining or, or something that, that will help them get over this. But um, this loss, those mistakes, that shoe incident is something that we are going to hear about for years and years. I mean, this is going to be a loss that Florida fans, media, and I'm sure the players and, and members of this team harp on forever yeah absolutely and and that's just kind of the sad reality and one I mean of the, this is like 2001 against Tennessee right it, it's, it's what up it there is. with it. it absolutely is and there have been mistakes before in the Dallas Baker thing has been discussed yeah the Dallas Baker curse I wrote about it in the and the he paper. reached out to Marco Wilson as, as you wrote about and, and discussed and we've heard everyone chime in from Seatric Faison who spoke out and said this is a very hard year depression is real and to pile on an individual right now in this time as he's already been piled on throughout the year is dangerous because Florida is going to need him within a week against the number one team in the country and they got Waddle back yeah and a healthier team than Florida may be because we yet to know if Sean Davis and Jeremiah Moon are are really going to be ready to go for the SEC championship game for Florida. They're going to need Marco Wilson. And that has been the message that we have heard from the Gators throughout the week. They're rallying around him. They understand that they're going to need Marco Wilson back. You saw Tease Tabor coming out here and say, I'm going to need you to lock up six on Saturday. That's the reality. Whether Florida fans like it or not, Marco Wilson is going to make his mistakes, but they're better with him. Yeah, absolutely. And just to reiterate what Dan Mullen said on the SEC championship game teleconference, this game and this loss was not all on Marco Wilson. It also had to do with the three turnovers that Kyle Trask had in the second quarter. And it also had to do with the times that Florida got in the red zone and they weren't able to punch it in. They had to settle for field goals. And and probably what hurt them the most was the three consecutive three and outs that they had. As I mentioned, they lost that third down battle against LSU, which had the number three third down defense coming into the game. And that was the matchup that Florida had to win. The Tigers took advantage. So there's a lot that Florida is going to have to go back and watch film and address as they try to get ready for the nation's top ranked team. When we come back on the other side, we're going to switch gears and talk some recruiting 
the early signing period for this Florida football program. And Dan Mullen, right now, according to the ESPN rankings, they have the number five 2021 class. We're going to hear from ESPN recruiting director Tom Luganbill for his thoughts on Dan Mullen's job in this cycle. We'll be right back after this break. The Gator Sports Podcast is brought to you by ViStar Credit Union. We never forget it's your money. And by ABC Fine Wine and Spirits. Always be celebrating. Welcome back into the Gator Sports Podcast presented by the Gainesville Sun and Graham. The early signing period is here, and it's a weird week for it to be happening because we got an SEC championship game to worry about. But nonetheless, Florida's still going to have to sign some recruits on Wednesday. Yeah, absolutely. And we talked about this last week, how they benefited from having most of their recruits locked up prior to early signing day, which really was going to ease that seven-day period between the LSU game, early signing day, and the upcoming SEC championship game. And now that it's finally here, Florida has to be pretty glad that they did. Because when they wake up on Wednesday morning, nearly 20 guys are going to sign for the Gators. And that has to be good news if you're Dan Mullen and all of his assistants, because you can really focus your game prep on the Alabama game. We had theorized last week that maybe looking ahead to Alabama and early signing day was going to affect Florida's preparation for the Tigers. And I think right now that that's a possibility. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, Florida in this recruiting cycle, because of the success that they're having on the field, uh, you would expect them to capitalize on that. And that's something that I talked to Tom Luganville about, uh, ESPN's national director of recruiting. We'll get his comments here just a moment on what he likes about the job that Dan Mullen has done in the years that he's been at Florida, specifically this 2021 class, some of the strengths that he sees. And I do think Graham, when you look at it, obviously there's still some guys that they want to land, some big fish that remain out there. Um, But they've hit some positions of need, and they've taken advantage of the fact that they're having one of the best years that they've had here in quite a long time. Yeah, absolutely. And aside from that, they're adding former five-star running back Demarcus Bowman to bring that number to 27, which we bring up all the time. Those guys aren't really factored into that recruiting ranking, that top five ranking is impressive despite the addition of a five-star and that's been the case for Dan Mullen and his assistants for several years now going back to Brenton Cox and Justin Shorter last year as well along with Lorenzo Lingard so really that class is even higher than it is ranked and I'm sure that that's something that when you are looking at it at the end of the year you got to be pretty grateful that they utilize the transfer portal to get a high-valued guy even though it's not going to fall into your ranking. So now I'm going to take you to my conversation with Tom Luganbill. I asked him about the job that Dan Mullen has done at Florida, specifically from a recruiting standpoint, kind of developing the talent that he's gotten here to campus that's helped Florida have the year that they're having in 2020. Here were Tom's comments. I don't think there's any question, Zach, that when you're recruiting well and then all of a sudden your production on the field increases significantly, what does that then do in turn for recruiting in the next cycle? All right. You've now changed the perception. You are viewed differently on behalf of the top prospects in the state. So I, I don't think there's any there, there's any question that the trajectory of the attention that they're garnering from prospects because of the success on the field is is heading in an upward trend. And, and I listen, I remember, you know, the first year and a half that he was there and there were a lot of concerns of, you know, about, you know, the guys that they were going after or the you know, the level of recruiting that they were going to have. And my response to that was, was anybody paying attention to the job that he was doing at Mississippi State and his evaluation practices and not only the caliber of player they were signing and then the player that that guy became once he arrived in Starkville? So my, 
I was always of, of the belief that let's sit back here a little bit. Maybe we ought to trust that Dan Mullen might have an idea of what he's doing and let it play out. And uh, I think what we've seen is we've seen a team that has incrementally gotten better in a variety of phases. I know when they first got there, they had huge offensive line issues. They shored that up. Um, they're continuing to recruit on the defensive front, which I think is really uh, important, as I mentioned with Clemson earlier, and you know everybody trying to keep up with the Joneses of those premium positions. So I like the position they're, they're in. Uh, where they're at on the field, though, I, that just – it pays so many dividends, whether we get into a normal cycle and you're going into the home and you're going into the to the high school and that, you know, that gator, that F on your breastplate, it's going to carry some weight, maybe more so than it did four years ago because of the results on the field. Definitely. And then the other question I have for you, Tom, is just looking at this class, is there any commits in particular or positions that they've recruited that, that you really like or you feel like are kind of strong? I know that they went down to South Florida and had some success. They've addressed the quarterback position once again. And then also sprinkling guys from the transfer portal like a DeMarcus Bowman. It seems like that's been a trait with them and his staff every year since they've got to Florida. They've gotten a five-star guy out of the portal. Yeah, it's crazy. In fact, Really, too, when you consider Shorter and uh, Trevon Grimes. Yep. So, yep. Yeah, they, they've done a really good job of, of hitting on those guys. And, you know, Bowman's an electrifying guy. He's a different type of back than what they've been playing with um, the last couple of years. I really like the two defensive ends. I, I think that the speed edge rushers of Jeremiah Williams and Tyreek Sapp, those two guys with what Todd Grantham wants to do from a pressure perspective – is going to give them that look that they had two years ago with that front four that was just just so destructive. So I think from, if, if I'm looking at a position or an area of strength that they've addressed, I think that that's an area where they have continued to add bodies in depth that, that add to what he wants to be on defense. Great stuff. Thank you so much, Tom. I appreciate it. Appreciate Tom for his time and perspective there. Some really great stuff on Dan Mullen's recruiting. And one of the interesting points that I think that he said, Graham, and something that I've always kind of looked to ever since Dan Mullen got to UF was, as you know, there was always concerns about his recruiting and and would he be able to get the job done at Florida and the development of the guys that he was going to bring in. And as Tom just said there, he always looked to what he did at Mississippi State. And because of that track record, because of that success, he felt like he was going to be able to get it done at Florida. And he's, as he said, he said, fans just need to be patient and the results would come. And as we see, they have. Yeah, absolutely. I think that most people assumed that the development aspect of Dan Mullen would translate to Florida because of the facilities, the budget to hire better coaches, the academic institution, its appeal, and just the fact that Florida on the high school level is a recruiting powerhouse. So you take a guy out of Mississippi, which no disservice to the football talent there on the high school level, but it really just kind of pales to what you see down here in Georgia, Alabama, and especially Florida. So you bring him down there, and then really the next factor for him is just the ability to recruit that talent as well and not settle for just in-state guys, and you're seeing that as well getting guys from Georgia, Alabama, Louisiana, a lot of states that churn out five-star prospects pretty regularly, and that is something that you've seen here. But like you said, Zach, it's going to take a little bit of patience, and this year more than ever – He doesn't have that three-week window in December after the end of that FSU game to go out there on the road, 
woo these parents out there. Talk about what Florida has coming up with the standalone facility that is right next door to the indoor practice facility. They don't have that this year, let alone official visits. So for them to still sign a top five class is extremely impressive in my mind. Yeah, and that was the point that Tom made. He was like, you know, this success that they're having in 2020 on the field is going to pay dividends once they can have a normal recruiting cycle. Once they can go into those homes and once they can go into those high schools, as Tom said, that gator head or that F on their chest is going to carry more weight now. And when Dan Mullen first got here, it didn't carry the weight that it did back in 2000 when he was still the offensive coordinator. And I don't think that maybe maybe he and some of his assistants didn't realize that. Um, But they've kind of built Florida back up to that. Now, let's be fair. As much progress that they've made and some of the uh, prospects that they've landed the last couple years that maybe they've taken away from a Georgia or Alabama. And there's been some, you know, the Kyrie Elams and Chris Bogles and what have you, the Gervon Dexters. There's still more that need to be had, right? There's still uh, more five stars, more top 100 talent, more guys in the Sunshine State that they got to keep from leaving Florida. And they made some inroads there. The one thing that I do give this staff credit for, and we've seen it year in and year out, is when they do miss, right? When they do not land some of those top targets at whatever positions they may be, they do a damn good job of then turning around and going addressing those misses th- via the transfer portal. And we've seen it class after class with the five stars that they brought in. And once again, we're going to see it now with DeMarcus Bowman, and that's what Tom mentioned. He said that guy's going to come in and be an electric player that changes their running back room, and that's kind of their shortcomings on the recruiting trail uh, from the running back position, but they've made up for it with guys like Lingard and now Bowman. Yeah, back-to-back years now where they've added a five-star running back via the transfer portal, going back to Lingard and now Bowman. And we talked about that defensive tackle position a lot. If it's one of the few shortcomings I think that people can point out when it comes to Dan Mullen's first two recruiting classes, and there were some various factors behind that. You had Sal Sanceri that just really wasn't able to finish that early signing period due to an off-the-field issue. Then he heads to Alabama, and now their linebackers coach. That position only adds one player. Yeah, they get Adam Schuler, and he was huge for Florida the first year the first year that he was here and the second year yep. that he was here on campus. That's a guy that really made up and, and minimized a lot of the deficiencies of that position. And then guys like Jalen Humphrey, when they get on campus as a freshman, really weren't able to have that impact season due to a various injuries and ailments uh, before getting here as well. So that position has lagged behind, and Florida has every single year added guys to the transfer portal. Zach, I think people really forget that Kyrie Campbell was a guy that Florida added as a junior college transfer at this program. They've really done a good job in various aspects outside just signing high school seniors when it comes to adding guys to this program. And going back to the Mississippi State point that Tom made, that kind of is an extension of that because of all the transfers that they got from the JUCO ranks when he was in Starkville. So uh, we're going to obviously focus on the high school guys, though, Wednesday. And when we come back from this last break, we will preview the early signing period for the Florida Gators. We'll run down their commitment list and let you know the guys that you need to watch for on Wednesday. The Gator Sports Podcast is brought to you by ViStar Credit Union. We never forget it's your money. And by ABC Fine Wine and Spirits always be celebrating.
Welcome back into the Gator Sports Podcast presented by the Gainesville Sun. Zach Albaverde and Graham Hall here as the Gators look to put pen to paper with most of their prospects. They're not going to have all their commits signed. They will have some targets making some decisions this week. And uh, Graham, like you kind of already alluded to, it's not maybe going to be much of an eventful day, but it hasn't been since Mullen got here because when they get time to sign, most of their class and most of their scholarships available have pretty much been filled. When you talk about 26 guys that Florida has, not too much space for them to really add anyone. And this is what we've been talking about this entire time. You don't want to be anxious and spending resources waiting for seeing to see whether guys are going to sign with your program on the day of. And that's really something that previous Florida coaches have had to do. You go back to signing day, back when it was that big event on Wednesday, we waited on guys like C.J. Henderson, Kamori Gamble, to finalize their recruitments on that final hour. And usually the nights before are spent sleepless, calling guys, going to see parents, getting back on the road. That takes away from your ability to do anything else in that time period. You couldn't be doing it if you were preparing for back-to-back games. And Florida really has the benefit, because they did the work ahead of time, of not having to do that. Yeah, and if you look at their class and uh, really some big pieces that they're going to add uh, officially on Wednesday, you look at the guys out of South Florida, the two defensive backs for Miami Palmetto, uh, Corey Collier Jr. and Jason Marshall, both of them going to be early enrollees, both of them right out of Miami. And uh, for Florida to add those guys to a secondary that has struggled, no doubt, this season, that's really going to probably help shore things up. And one, if not both of those guys, might be able to come in and, and make an immediate impact and Graham, I don't know if there's any commits on the uh, commitment list that really stand out to you, but you know, Florida's done a good job also on the offensive side of, of certainly addressing the quarterback position, not just with Carlos Del Rio, but they got the signal caller from the state of Texas, another gunslinger uh, in Kyle Trask. Now they're trying to bring in Jalen Kitna to see what he can do with that quarterback spot. Yeah, adding two quarterbacks in this class is certainly something that kind of gave Florida fans pause initially. But when you go back and look at what Dan Mullen has said all along, we address the position and what we need. And Florida had a previous quarterback in Jalen Jones leave the program after spring. And so they were looking to add two quarterbacks in this class. That really wasn't what stood out to me the most, though, Zach. What I'm really looking to see on Wednesday is when Dewan Black finalizes his recruitment to Florida. Yeah. This is something that happens so little when it comes to guys rejoining programs that they initially signed with. For those who don't remember, Dewan Black signed with the Gators right when Dan Mullen got to Gainesville, followed him over as well, wasn't able to enroll at the time, went the JUCO route. Two years later, now he's ready to enroll at Florida, ranked the number one JUCO player in the 2021 class. To see him to complete this journey and yeah. finalize his dream of becoming a Gator, it's just pretty exciting to see, Zach. You just see it so little, and this is a very genuine guy. As you know, you filmed his commitment video back two years ago. For see, the Gainesville Sun, baby! Absolutely, repping the brand, and to see him finalize that has got to be exciting to see. Yeah, no doubt, and he's a guy that's been an ambassador for the program from a recruiting standpoint, just so active on social media. Anybody that the staff is going after, he's jumping in their DMs. He's uh, interacting with them. And, and that's that's really, I think, helped because he's been the type of guy that has that personality that's kind of infectious and uh, and guys want to get to know him and befriend him. So for him to complete that it is going to be special. And uh, of the 26 commits uh, that are a part of this class right now, not all of them, though, are going to be signing Wednesday. Some are going to take their time and we heard Tom Luganville in the last segment, Graham, say that two of his favorite players in this class 
are the edge rushers and Jeremiah Williams and Tyreek Sapp. Sapp, Alabama is coming at him really hard trying to make that flip happen. And then Jeremiah Williams, who recently joined Florida's class, is now maybe looking to uh, see how things play out here and maybe Auburn as the team that everybody's watching out for, can get him to flip here down the stretch. So those are two impressive commits that Florida has in the class, according to Tom Luganville, but two that the Gators are going to have to watch here. That's what Dan Mullen's taken pride in doing, is not only flipping recruits from those high-priority programs, Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, but also keeping his commits away from them, and he's used to doing that. And you bring up that edge rusher position. We know how valuable that buck linebacker, edge rusher position is in this Florida defense, that's absolutely something that if Florida is going to continue to have that upward trajectory and sign top five class after top five class, they're going to continue having to fend off programs like the Crimson Tide and the Dogs. Yeah, Graham, and if you look at the top targets still remaining for the Gators, the positions I think that they're looking to address definitely along the offensive line, that's one spot where they really haven't hit big. They've got the numbers there, but just not really any elite commits at that position. Now, they had a guy that just visited in Tristan Lee. He'll be somebody to watch out for, although I know that Oklahoma is considered uh, the favorite for him. And then two more guys deciding this week, uh, Xavier Sori, who visited this past weekend, and Tanise Adelaide, who also visited this past weekend a five-star defensive end out of the state of Texas who spent uh, some time in Florida at IMG Academy. Those are kind of some names to watch. I don't really know. At least I don't expect Florida to land any of those guys. Um, but also some other targets out there still for the second signing day, like Terrion Arnold, that remains on the board. Yeah, I actually spoke to Arnold this weekend on Sunday, and it's pretty interesting, Zach. Many people have speculated that he and Xavier Sori would play together. They were supposed to team up together this year for their senior year of high school. That didn't end up happening, and they've long discussed signing for the same college program together. But when I spoke to Arnold this weekend, he said that that may not be really true. They're not necessarily some package deal. They may line up against each other in the SEC, and considering they just had Arnold on campus, who actually, Zach, would love to be a two-way player. Zach, you know I'm a Cleveland Cavaliers fan and Arnold said that really what made him want to be a basketball player at Alabama which is one of his other top schools is seeing Colin Sexton Cleveland Cavaliers point guard play at Alabama so that's something that Florida has talked to him about as well the possibility of being around the basketball program it may factor into his recruitment so Terry on Arnold will definitely be a name to watch as we move forward Graham although he will not be deciding this week Tristan Lee will not be deciding this week so really the names to watch are Sori and Tumise I don't expect Florida to land either of those guys but I don't necessarily think it will hurt them especially if they can keep Tyreek Sapp committed and they can keep Jeremiah Williams committed there'll still be some time in the first Wednesday in February to have some more guys maybe come to campus I mean they were able despite the limitations because of this COVID situation to get guys to check out uh, the game in the swamp on Saturday and now there'll be some more visits now that the high school seasons have wrapped up the coaches can't host these guys, but they can still take a trip to Gainesville, walk around campus, kind of see what the atmosphere is like here in Gainesville. So we'll watch it play out. We will join you guys on Thursday with a recap of the early signing period. We'll also get you ready for the SEC championship game on Saturday between Florida and Alabama. We'll be joined by Brett Hudson to get his thoughts on the Crimson Tide and what to watch for from them. Until next time, for Graham Hall, I'm Zach Albaverde.